really y'all nothing makes me more excited than to look out here and see teeny tiny babies, mid-sized babies, big babies, and adults. It's all exciting. Um, it's just a, it's a sign of a church that's growing and it's reaching new and younger people, and that is super exciting for me. And I hope you always know that your kids are welcome here, and adults are always welcome here too. <laughs> but this morning, we are going to finish up the series on Ruth. I know, I know, it was only two weeks. Um, there's going to be a time where I come back and we're just going to go chapter by chapter through this. But um, this time, I, I just felt like God was leading us to sort of just do two chapters. We're going to look at the last chapter in the book of Ruth. And I want to start with a question for you all. Have you ever seen someone and you are like, I want my life to look like that. I want what they have. I want that. I want their friends, because they're really cool. I want their career, because they're killing it. I want their ministry. I want everything I do to be faithful and to honor God. I want their family, because it's cute. I want their mindset. I want to be able to be determined and focused like I want to be. About 10 years ago, when I started in ministry, I was an associate pastor under a, a pastor named Jacob Armstrong. And I remember telling him, like, I want my life to look like yours. You have really awesome friends. Like, he had his best friend who just stopped by and sit on the porch and rock in his rocking chair and talk to him. I'm like, I want that kind of friend, just somebody who rescues me from the inside of my house and lets me sit outside and talk to him. Who else wants a friend like that, right? I want a career like yours. I want to be successful and good at what I do. I want a ministry that's healthy and growing and vital. I want a family with young kids. Chris and I were having a really hard time um, having children, getting pregnant at that time. And I, I just, I was like, I want a family like that. And I want your mindset. You get up and go running in the morning. You, you take, you know, prayer really serious. I want to be disciplined like you. I want what you have. And he said, Erica, thank you. But the problem is that you only are seeing the current chapter. You haven't seen the full story. You haven't read the earlier chapters. You didn't see the chapter titled Private Sacrifices when I didn't know if I'd be able to keep doing this job and be able to care for my family. You didn't read the chapter about heartbreaking loss when I was a youth minister and one of my students died suddenly and tragically. You weren't there for the chapter called Overcoming Insecurities where I was struggling with anxiety so much I could hardly sleep. At night. You weren't there for the chapter, My Spiritual Doubts. God, are you really here? You weren't there for the chapter where I was on my knees crying out to God to do something in my life. You've just been here for the chapter where God proves what God always does, that he is faithful. Today, I want you to recognize that you might be living in one of the chapters that I just titled. Private sacrifices, heartbreaking loss, overcoming insecurity, spiritual doubt, crying out to God. You may be in one of those chapters, but I want you to think this morning about your next chapter. I want us to take some time to let Ruth show us this, this book in the Bible to show us what it's like to think about our next chapter, because this is what this book of the Bible is going to tell us that's more true than anything I'm going to say the rest of the morning, and that is that the decisions that you make today 
will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. The decisions that you made in the middle of private sacrifice chapter will matter about the story you tell tomorrow. The, the decisions that you make in the midst of heartbreaking loss will determine the story that you tell tomorrow. The decisions that you make in the chapter of overcoming insecurities will matter to your story tomorrow. I want you to think about it. If you're not happy with the season you're in, if you want something better, this message is called Choosing Your Next Chapter. Because there are many of you sitting in seats right now who are also sitting in a moment in time. A moment where you are faced with the decision to keep living your life like you are living it right now or choosing to take a faithful, bold, and sometimes scary step into the next chapter God has for you. And this book, this, this Bible passage that we are going to read today is going to teach us how to make that choice well. Will you pray with me? God, for those of us in this room this morning who are in the midst of a hard chapter, I pray. For those of us who are in the midst of a good chapter, but who are indeed thinking about our next chapter, reveal some truth to us today. And for those of us who just want our story to matter, God, reveal truth to us and show us how you want our stories to matter. And you meet us in any chapter we are in. Amen. So the, the context is we are studying about a, a, a woman, not a man, sorry, a woman named Ruth. She is a widow from Moab. Her, um, she, her husband died and her husband's uh, father died. So she and her mother-in-law left Moab, moved to Bethlehem, and in this time, Ruth has started worshiping. She's essentially a convert because she went from uh, worshiping the god of, of the gods of Moab to worshiping the god of Israel. So um, it just so happens that when she gets there, I'm going to catch up on a couple chapters that we didn't read. It just so happens that she arrives in Bethlehem as the barley harvest is coming in. It also just so happened that widows are allowed when they're harvesting. Uh, when the, the crews are harvesting in the field, widows are allowed to pick up what the, what the workers drop. And it just so happens that Ruth is gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz. He's a pretty well-off guy. He's very respectable. He's very nice. Boaz meets Ruth, admires her character, and, um, you know, decides he wants to date her, but he's a little insecure. The first date asked doesn't go really well. Um, she gives him encouragement. She's like, I am interested in you. There's um, an interesting scene I'll let you read about since there are children in the room. Um, so just, that's for chapter three. And then now we are in Ruth uh, chapter four. Um, and, and this is what happens. Ruth and Moab are essentially, Ruth and Naomi are essentially, uh, they have this one piece of land that the family has given them. And there is one member ahead of Boaz. He is a kin redeemer for this family. And there is one family member ahead of him, to, ahead of Boaz, so that Boaz can get this land and, and protect the women. So um, Boaz has this problem. He somehow needs to find this guy, make a deal with him, and he needs three things to happen so that he can get this land and the woman of his dreams, Ruth, and take care of Naomi. Y'all see the... the 
what's happening here. He needs three things um, to do this. And this is what we need in our next chapter two. If you're chasing the love of your life, if you're ready for healthier finance, if you're ready for a career that means something, if you're ready for your life to be a ministry and every step to be faithful, you need the same three things that we see Boaz needs. We need the providence of God. And I'm going to explain that because there are some things sometimes that are hard to understand about the providence of God. We need planning. We need to be able to plan some things. And all of it has to be deeply bathed in prayer. It ha you have to be praying. So the providence of God, let's talk about that because that's a big word and we need to, to take some time with it. It is one third of a major theme in Ruth. So that's providence of God. This book is not about physical miracles. We don't see the Red Sea parted. We don't see the, the sick healed. We don't see water turned into wine. Sorry. Um, those are not the things we see in here, but we do see the providence of God. God shows up in the everyday life of Ruth and supernatural things happen because she trusts God in the midst of it. So, if, if you don't believe me, I want you to read Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 with me. Boaz, who there's somebody standing between him and the land and the woman that he wants. Do you understand? There's somebody standing. So, Boaz goes to the town gate. He sits down there at the town gate just as the guardian redeemer that he had mentioned came along. Y'all think that's a coincidence? I think not. Boaz says to him, come over here, my friend, and let's sit down and talk. So the guy went over and sat down. He just so happens to be sitting at the town gates, and Boaz is not a ministry leader. He's not a pastor. He's not a nonprofit organizer. He is a businessman. And he's like, I get a chance to negotiate a deal. Like, God created me for this moment. I've got to close on this land. What, what stands between me and that? About the same thing that's going to stand between you doing something incredible in Tampa and, and, and making it happen. And that's the city council. Okay? Um, so he's, he knows he's got to get the city council there. So this is one, like, important part that I'm going to say before we get there. Boaz calls this man in Hebrew, it, it's, it's, it says friend, it's called Plani Almani, and that means like friend, but when you say it twice, it means you're muted, or like this man didn't have a name. So he's not named in here, in this whole book. The whole time he's like essentially called Mr. No Name. Um, his, his name is not included in the Bible. That's just an important thing for you to remember, okay? Mr. No Name is the guy who stands between Boaz and the love of his life. And when did Mr. No Name show up? Did Boaz get, just get lucky or was it a coincidence? No. This is those moments when everyday moments matter. Boaz knew what stood between him and what he wanted, right? He's known that for a week. And so he happens to be sitting in a place and he is prepared for the supernatural moment that God creates in our lives so many times. The providence of God is when we are open to God providing what it is that we have asked for and we have needed. And we do so with open eyes and open hands and an open heart. This does not mean you don't see him choke the guy. You don't see him like pull out a knife, right? Like he's not forcing this guy to think. He's just like, this is my opportunity that I've been looking for and God has presented me with this. I, I need you to understand one last thing, one last Hebrew thing and then we're, we'll keep going with the story. Uh, Hush, 
together. Can we go to the next one? This right here means Hashkacha Pratit. It's literally the providence of God. And I'm going to show you something. You read it this way. So this is Hashgata and this is Pratis. You read Hebrew backwards. And I need you to understand something, Americans who live in the Western world. A lot of times when we look at the story of our lives, the best way to see and recognize the providence of God is by looking back. It's by looking back. And it helps us to notice it in the present moment. Think of a moment. Think of a moment in your life where you're like, that cannot be explained except God showed up. The providence of God is often understood best by reading our lives backwards. It allows us the opportunities to see what has happened when we have lived with open hands and an open heart. I think about in my own life, when Chris and I were having a really hard time having children, and we got a call the day after Christmas that David had been born in Panama City. I remember this moment being, being because I told, I literally had told Chris, like, if we don't get a call today, I don't know what's going to happen because we had a plan to move to Florida six months later. And we literally had to have the baby placed with us by the end of the year. I'm like, we've got to get a call in the next two days or either the adoption or the move to Florida isn't happening. Literally on the 26th of December, someone called us and asked us about um, adopting David. He was in the hospital for five days and we checked out one hour, one hour to spare for him to be considered to be in our home on December 31st. And it was the exact, like to the day, to the second moment that we needed to be able to move here to start this new church. I'm sorry guys, but looking back in those moments, there were moments where I'm like, this is crazy. We have no pre, no bit. Like I knew this needed to happen. I was telling everybody, like it's gotta happen right now. Or, None of this is going to happen, but I didn't bother to buy a pre-up or a bottle or clothes or any of those things. But it just so happened that God is sometimes faithful in ways that surprise us. We simply showed up at the hospital with open hands and open hearts and open lives, and we came home with the greatest son that there ever was. Will also is up there, so just don't tell us of that <laughs> in here. It just so happens that sometimes God shows up when we are just living our lives with open hands and open hearts, I knew what stood between us and moving to Florida, and it just so happens that God opens those moments up. In the moment, I would not have said this was God's providence. I would have said this is stressful, and I like I don't know what to do. But providence, God's providence is best read backwards. Some of Ruth's earlier chapters were about her being suddenly and tragically widowed. But looking back and reading about it, we can see the providence of God intervening in her everyday life and showing up and doing ordinary things. We see the faith that she had to leave Moab and come to Bethlehem, a place of famine to a place where there is a harvest. We see her broke and poor in Bethlehem. And she is ready for a better chapter. Sometimes we simply have to be open to the providence of God. I need you to know. God is still writing your story. This chapter is not your final chapter. God has a story that God wants to tell on your life. This is the second thing that Boaz is going to teach us in Ruth. Uh, the second thing is strategic plans. Let me tell you guys something. I am not a planner. I fly by the seat of my pants in everything that I do. I am not a person who is strategic planned. 
or who does that, but Boaz knows that, that part of trusting the providence of God is also having a plan in place. He's not a pastor, he's not a prophet, he's not a priest, he's a business leader. He's, he's not leading a Bible study, he's not on a mission trip when this guy shows up, but God still does something amazing in him and through him by sitting at that city gates. He just simply lets God show up in the middle of a business deal, and God is in on it. Boaz, let's see how this happens. Boaz goes to the city, city gate. He, Mr. No Name comes by, and this is what Boaz does. He's like, I need 10 business leaders. I need witnesses here right now. And he says to Mr. No Name, you ready to make a deal? And Mr. No Name's like, yes, I've got it. He's like, do you want a little X land from Naomi? And let me, let me tell you how it goes. Uh, it's better to read it from the Bible than just tell you. So, if you want the land, this is what he says to, to Mr. No Name. Boaz says, if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of... Oh, sorry, we're at Ruth 4, 5. Over to the next one. Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth... Hold on, Ruth 4, 4. Go back. Sorry. Okay, I thought I should bring this matter to your attention. Boaz says this to the guy at the city gate. And suggests that you buy this land in the presence of these witnesses seated here. I'm not going to have this conversation with you one-on-one. -on -one. I've called everybody I know to come over and witness this so people are here. In the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so right now. But if you won't, tell me so I'll know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. And this guy's like, this is pennies on the deal. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm going to redeem the land, he says. And then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. And now the guy's like, uh, let's pump on the brakes here. This doesn't sound like such a good deal, right? Anybody ever made a deal like this? Like, yes, I want it. And then you hear that I do this. Sometimes that's why they're like, you're not allowed to go to the table and talk about things. Um, anyway, so it, he says, this is your deal. You can have a Moabite woman and her grumpy mother-in-law. You don't want this? And the guy's like, no, they're both broke. They, I, I've got to provide for them, and I've got to give Ruth a son, a baby. Like, I'm over that stage in life. All of this for the land I'm buying? What kind of deal is this? He's like, no, I can't redeem it, he says. The family redeemer replies to me. And I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Mr. No Name titled this chapter a bad investment. A bad investment. But Boaz titled this chapter a legacy opportunity. Why? Because Mr. No Name was selfish and he wanted more of his money than he wanted a ministry. One of the most spiritual things you can do is make a plan. Naomi, I, Boaz knew he wanted Ruth, and he wanted to provide for her and care for her. One of the most spiritual things you can do is to make a plan. What's your plan? Are you in the middle of a struggling marriage? What's your plan? Are your finances struggling? What's your plan? Is your health need, do you need to improve your health? What's your plan? What, do you need better friends? Are they, are they stoned or broke or far from God? You need a better plan than to keep hanging out with people like that because the decisions you make today determine the story you tell tomorrow. 
Where you sit today determines, on, determines what God can bring your way. Boaz worked his plan. He bought the land. He becomes the kinsman redeemer. And listen to this. With the land, he says, I have acquired, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. I've got a legacy beyond just what I'm trying to do, he says. Who needs this? to be the story of your next chapter. Who wants your chapter to matter more than it matters today? Who wants to make sure that something that seems like it is dead can live again? Who wants their chapter to speak that truth? He did not want his name to disappear from, from his family or from his hometown. So he says to the people, you all are witnesses today. Boaz is joining his chapter with Ruth's chapter to create God's chapter. Boaz depends on God, but he plans his next chapter by praying. If you are planning a next chapter and you do not have a prayer routine, I'm telling you, your next chapter is not going to be as beautiful as it could be. You need to pray some faith-filled prayers. It's all over the book of Ruth. It's not these long, drawn-out, 20-minute prayers with God. They're short prayers. In fact, me and David timed them earlier this morning. They're one and a half to two seconds. Naomi, in verse one, in chapter 1, verse 9, says, May the Lord give you a husband to Ruth. Ruth says, May the Lord deal with me if I leave you. May the Lord be with you, Boaz says. May the Lord bless you, the workers say to her. These are one sentence, one and a half second prayers. What are these prayers that you can be praying? May the Lord repay and bless you. May I continue to find favor. May the Lord bless people who bless you. May the Lord bless you. These are all prayers. Pick one of those, those seven or eight prayers and pray them. The elders and all the people standing in the gates replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord, they pray again, may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, they were heroes, heroes of the faith from whom all of the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper and may you be famous in Bethlehem. May the Lord make this woman Ruth, a Moabite who turned to the true God. May, may, may God make her like the women who were heroes of the faith who descended from Israel. May you prosper. May you be famous in Bethlehem, they prayed. It just so happens, do y'all know anybody who's from Bethlehem who's pretty famous? Providence, planning, prayer. Providence of God is like Hebrew. It's best understood backwards. Jesus, without sin, was born of the Virgin Mary. There was a providence of God looking backwards. I want you to listen. Mary was engaged to Joseph. I'm going to go through this kind of fast, but y'all hold on. Mary was engaged to Joseph, whose father was Jacob. Now listen. Jacob from Mathem, Elazar, Eliud, Akun, Zadok, Azor, Eliakim, Abiadid, Zerubal. Then there's like 14, 15 other names. And then listen. Solomon, David, Jesse, a kid named Obed, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. The woman who they prayed would be famous in Bethlehem is in the lineage of the Messiah who came to save the world. The decision you make today determines the story of 
future. That hour you give up to volunteer somewhere, it may be the story of somebody who is redeemed and finds new life. That 30 minutes that you eat lunch with the kid at Cher Monte, who knows what that kid can accomplish. That three hours you spent at Love, Inc., checking homeless people in to resources to experience the new life. Imagine what the chapter of tomorrow looks like. Bringing your baby, your little teeny tiny baby to church the very first chance you get. Imagine the story that is being written. We don't need fireworks in the skies, Christians. We don't need people doing amazing, life-shattering, earth-changing things. I need, God needs, Jesus needs you taking one faithful step today. There was a man I met this, this weekend. His name is Nakeem. Nakeem was from Pakistan. His family, like four generations before him, uh, sorry about that. His, uh, his family grew up in Pakistan, and four generations before him, a, uh, a missionary came, offered his family food, and, and helped to introduce them to Jesus, and they, they gave their lives to Jesus, and they had been a faithful family of Jesus followers for four years. He winds up in Pakistan, and he winds up, you know, there's some terrorist activity there, and they literally run him out of town. He had to leave Pakistan. For four years, he left his wife and his daughter behind. He had a little bit of communication with them, but he had to come here to America. And the first Sunday, what he did is he walked into Flourish United Methodist Church in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Okay? Walks into the church. They help get him some resources and things that he needs. I meet him on Wednesday this week. We're sitting in a place eating food. He and I are talking, and he's telling me this story. And I was like, I know this guy from Flourish United Methodist Church. He's the bishop of United Methodist Church, which means he's sort of my boss, right? He helps to pray for and mentor and, and decide the direction. I was like, I know him. He's like, oh, Tom. I was like, yes, <laughs> Tom. And he, he was telling how the little things that he did had mattered so much. Now this guy's running this amazing immigrant ministry. He's helping folks in rural Virginia connect to immigrant ministry and changing the way they're thinking about and engaging with it. It was the most incredible story ever. But he looked at me and he said, the ministry that you're doing at Horizon, it sounds like missionary work. We don't call it that anymore because it just seems like it's the stuff that you do, but it's missionary work. Imagine, Erica, he says, imagine in four generations the stories the people in your church will have touched will tell. Imagine. Imagine the stories that women who are coming out of prison will tell because we showed up to Hillsborough House of Hope. Because we gave them toilet paper and paper towels. Imagine. Imagine the stories the kids at Shermonti will tell. Imagine the stories our kids who served homeless, kid, homeless people meals two weeks ago. Imagine the stories that they will tell. It is time. It is time that us Christians write a new chapter. A chapter that is not filled of hate and racism and homophobia and all the other things Christians are known for. But it is time we write a story that points to the legacy and goodness of God. Your hands, your feet, your heart, and your words have the power to do that. Let's shine some light and ignite some change. And let's write a story that honors the glory and goodness of a God who sees the widow and the orphan, the hungry and the oppressed, the imprisoned and the lonely and the 
God is so huge. And James used 